Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history. This episode of Retro Rewind is sponsored by Fitzgibbons Law Offices, local attorneys serving Pinal County for over 30 years. Welcome back to Retro Rewind. I'm your host, Brian Wright. I am joined by my co-host, Maria Vasquez, and we have... uh, John Cashner back on our program for a second episode, and uh, John, thanks for being with us again today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's pick up on uh, our conversation from last week, where you know we talked a little bit about your coaching career at Casa Grande Union and uh, just getting started, kind of building the program there during your seven years, and I think. Probably one of the highlights of your of your time there was this this season opening game that you played against Chandler in 1983. Now there's a little bit of a build up to this game, whereas uh, 1982 was a was a bit of a, a dark year for you guys. And absolutely, and I believe uh, Chandler took you guys to the woodshed uh, in 1982. They did, and you were kind of looking probably for some revenge uh, on them. So um, well. Not only revenge, it was just that uh, the way that entire season the year before had gone. And again, you know, going back to what we talked about in the first session is, you know, it it takes time to build a program and nurture. And we were talking about bringing kids up. That team uh, the year before were almost all juniors. So we did almost the exact same things. And, you know, it was a matter of believing not only as coaches but as, as in our players, but players in the coaches. And uh, that game solidified what we've been preaching. You know, you just got to let it happen. We're better than what we're showing, you know, and with maturity. So that's exactly what we talked about at halftime, you know. Are we going to allow this to happen again? I mean, you know you're better. And we asked the question at halftime, are, are, the, are they better than you? Are they bigger, stronger? No, coach. Well, it's a matter of execution and going out and doing what we've been practicing, and you're more than capable. And uh, the second half just happened. I mean, that way. I mean, uh, basically, they took control of what was going to happen and made it happen. It was a very interesting half of football, though, and very emotional for everybody. Because uh, from a community, you know, we had talked about a little bit about Maricopa County looking down and Pima County looking down on our athletic programs, you know what I mean here? And so here you got this big school coming down, and, and we had lost. Uh, our enrollment had dropped dramatically because when the mines closed, that was one of the things that I never got into. When I came here thinking that we were going to be a school of about 1,800, 1900, and we lost about 600 uh, families and 600 students in that period of time and we dropped and uh, but we played Chandler and again we had uh, some great players on that team Anthony Edwards would made one of the most outstanding plays and, and we had so many gifted athletes in that on that team but they all bought in the biggest thing for that team is they're still very close I run into them they're, they talk one another amongst themselves and it was a unified thing we talked about family a great deal in all my coaching things you know it's a family thing when one guy hurts the other guy's got to hurt and uh you know when one loses we all lose and same thing when we win and so that group and going back to anthony you know he, he was a heck of a player and he was a little undersized 
and the things that people, I'm going to, real quick story, I know Anthony was a great player, should have been recruited to probably multiple Division One schools, except Anthony loved to wrestle. And so as soon as football season was over, Anthony would drop all this weight, and I think he wrestled around 138. So now you have a college guy coming in, like AFCU or U of A, and they're looking at a guy, and they didn't look at his hands, they didn't look at his heart. And he got to a place where he was noticed, and... Uh, and he took it and ran with it. And uh, we had quite a few kids like like that. Um, you know, our line wasn't very big, but they believed they could do it, and they were all athletically. And, again, it was an experienced team. That was the difference in that game. They knew what to expect. They had already been through it, all the difficult things, and they didn't want to go back to it. They didn't want to go there. So every game was a – from then on, whether we won or we lost, it was a dogfight. And uh, they believed they could win every game after that game. So, I mean, when you when you look at the 1982 season to the 1983 season, I mean, you guys go from 1-9 and nine in 1982 to 7-3. and three. So it wasn't just the Chandler game. I mean, this was well, a different team. It was a different team, right. And it was because of the experience, what we had talked about earlier, the, 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 you know, the, the running the same things over and over and getting so good at it that – you know, it was unstoppable. And we had so many, like I say, talent. John Patina was a tight end. Anthony is a wide receiver. Brent Kenzer, we had a decent line. So we could spread the ball around. And, uh, again, these kids were all close-knit. It was a team. It was a family. And so every one of those games, even the three that we lost at that time, and that was one of the better teams. And at the time, the playoff system, the way it was, I think we were denied, but we should have been in because we had beaten teams that got in the playoffs. But it was the format that they had at that time, which – Again, going back to Arizona, it's totally different than what Pennsylvania had. Well, and for those of us who don't know, because it, it, it seems kind of wild to me that you guys didn't make the playoffs, what was the criteria for making the playoffs? Back then, you had to have within your what they called the region, I think it was, and uh, that was one of the biggest things that I, um, I'm just filling out an application for the Arizona Hall of Fame, and, and one of the things is that I brought the point system from Pennsylvania here that finally got later on instituted where you got rewarded like if I went and played an 11 and 0 team I got re- I might have lost I might have lost by one point two points but in the old way that was locked as as a loss where in a point system by losing to a team like that I'd actually get as many points if not more than for beating a team that's 0 and 10 so there was a, <clears throat> a, a level of so you had the best teams rise to the top you wanted to play better teams because they got you more points and uh but back then, it was in every year it changed. The region changed, and then how they were determining the playoff, which was really frustrating for coaches, because there was a year later on where I did make the playoffs in Casa Grande, but the team wasn't near as good. But the criteria was was different, and and again, there was no consistency. To, to make, and I'll be honest with you, it's that way today. Even there's no consistency. They keep changing regions. They keep changing how you get in. And now with this COVID thing, you know, it's it's changing everywhere. I just found out that the AIA is going to allow Tucson to have their own because they haven't started yet, and their Pima is not allowed to practice even yet. But now they're going to move their start their season. I think the last week of October, first week, and play seven games and have a Tucson champion. Uh, versus playing all the Valley schools because because they were not allowed to play. Some of the schools up here dropped their, you know, like even though I think South Point really only has three games. Casa Grande, I think, probably has only five or six. Casa Grande has seven. Seven now. Well, they were, but again, they're all up here because the schools that they might have played before down there aren't allowed to play. Right. 
But so the criteria, but it, that's, I mean, this is an unusual year, but it's almost like that year in and year out, how the AIA determines who makes the playoffs and, and how they're, it's not as consistent as it is in some states. I mean, I know some states that every school, in, they only play nine games, every school gets in the playoffs, and then it's whittled down from maybe 36 teams, you know, in each uh, level, you know, but at least everybody gets a chance, you play through it, or there's got to be some type of hard, fast criteria. You know, but again, that team there uh, deserved to be in the playoffs, and I think would have gone a decent amount. Now, a couple of guys on that team uh, we've actually had here on our podcast. So, you know, we spoke to Dennis Fitzgibbons, we spoke to uh, Kevin White. Um, so, and both of them had, I think, interesting journeys uh, that you're familiar with. I mean, Dennis Fitzgibbons talked about how basketball was his passion, but maybe he wasn't as good as basketball as he would have liked to have been. And then you had Kevin White, who um, had had hopes of going and playing college football, but he just wasn't sure if that was in the cards for him. And then, you know, both of them talked about how you played such a big role in helping get them uh, to a college to get a college scholarship and play football. So um, if you want to just uh, talk about those two and – Maybe how you use some of your connections on the East Coast to, to help get them to college. Sure. Well, one of the biggest things is going back to what we talked about the last session, the transition. All of my connections, all of my, I used to speak at clinics all the time and, even, you know, go when I was coaching college, were back East. I came out here and I was like, even though there were so many, because of Frank Cush, a lot of Pennsylvania guys were out here that I learned later on that, that we got to, almost have this little reunion with the coaches that are coaching out in Arizona that were from Pennsylvania and either played at ASU or a few at even at U of A like Howard Breinick. But uh, when I came here, so you had these players, and the first one was uh, that, that was really talented when I got here was Randy Robbins. Kevin was his quarterback, but we had some other kids, Ray Crockett, phenomenal 100-yard dash guy, and we had some other players that were really outstanding. But again, the frustrating part, I realized right then, there was nowhere to send the kids that weren't the Kevin Whites or the Randy Robbins. But even those guys, NAU turned down Randy Robbins. Believe it or not, I couldn't get him. ASU would not finally do anything. And I finally got a guy that I had a connection with he was the line coach, offensive line coach, and his dad was the head coach of a small college in in uh, California, Redlands. And uh, I got him some film, and I said, you know, and I started sending it back to West Virginia. So all of a sudden, and some other places, Penn State, and they now he started to get some interest. Well, they found out that he was getting interest, and at that time there was a new coach. Uh, Tony Mason was down at U of A, and he had a bunch of assistants that were from Pennsylvania. So in through that, they looked me up a little bit, and they found out that I had had quite a few players back there. And uh, so they had Randy down. And my disappointment, you know, Randy, in that next year, could have been a high school player. He graduated a year early. So what most kids were graduating at 18, he was 17. So he actually could have played at Casa Grande the next year. So he was our young freshman down there. But once we got him there, uh, you know, people started to look a little bit more. But then Kevin White came along, and, and uh, he was the next what I would call, you know, uh, potential to be a college player, big-time college player, where then we were sending all these other guys to these Sterlings and places like that, Friends University, 
they were taking the other players, but the big time players again, they still didn't believe in our program that he was good enough, you know. So I had this. Bill Kurlavich was the defensive line coach at West Virginia, and he and I had coached together in the Cole region. And I sent him the film, and he asked me right out, "How tall is this kid?" And I said, "He's he's six foot." Are you sure? And it's one of the stories I'm sure Kevin says. They walk him in a room, and first thing they do is they put him against the wall where there's all these lines so they can measure him. You know, it's all about the eye test. Now, was he five eleven? Was he six? Well, he was. He, I lied about a half an inch. You know, and I told him whatever you do, wear heeled shoes. You know what I mean? Not heel, but you know, back then those there were those stacked heels a little bit. So it, it was kind of a funny story. And you know, he went into a situation. You know, a lot of people don't know or. You know, they probably had recruited four or five quarterbacks. You know what I mean? Back then it was a matter of stockpiling. But, you know, the thing that Kevin had was his intelligence. And he was smart. And he picked up on everything. And then the other thing was he, he played behind, you know, when he first got there, he's playing behind Oliver Luck. Oliver Luck, you know, is well known in football. His son was, a, you know, big. And then after that he goes and plays uh, behind... Uh, the transfer from Penn State. Jeff Hostetler. Hostetler. So, you know, he it wasn't like he was back up to Joe Schmo, And he got in those games when those guys got hurt. So he learned a lot from those. And then the next year, you know, a lot of people didn't believe in him. And I know that I talked to Coach Nealon many times after. He said he just didn't realize the what he had. And, you know, that year they beat Penn State for the first time this year. And they beat Doug Flutie. And that was the year of the Hail Mary and all that. But, I mean, so Kevin had a great, great career back there. But it was due to the fact, uh, now, if I had let him have his way, and he won't like this, but he'd have been home the first six months, I'd get a call every day. I don't know. I don't want to come home. You know, send these kids. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're going down the street. As soon as you send them somewhere, you know, they're the, you know they have that apprehension. Even Randy was that close. But, uh, you know, once they get past that first Christmas, after that first year, you never even hear from them anymore. You know, they're gone. And then with Dennis, we needed a quarterback. And uh, we had lost Kevin. And when we looked at our program, there was just no. And then I'd go to – I, I love basketball. I was a very good basketball. Uh, and uh, Coach Keezer was the basketball coach. And I went out, and I'm watching, you know. And, and we had a really good basketball coach the year before, Joe Partain, who ended up going to Chandler. And uh, Dennis uh, thought he was a basketball player. Now, I come from right outside Philadelphia. Uh, I see basketball players. When I see Dennis, his size, I, I one day I said I brought some paper to a basketball, and I, I said, what are you doing with that? I said, jump for me. I said, I want to see if I can get the piece of paper underneath <laughs> your sneakers. And, you know, with that, he'd get all insulted. And, you know, and then I said, well, I, and then we would have these pickup basketball games. I'll be honest with you, I, I could take, you know, you know I'm that, and I'm saying, you know, you're not, but you're, you're a big kid. You got to so he finally committed. His dad let him, his parents let him play, and uh, we spent literally uh, every day for about, oh, four months. He couldn't, we'd stand behind the goalposts just trying to get him to throw, work on motion. Now, he'd pick up, but, you know, he'd always want to overpower. He was a, a big boy at that time, you know, for a quarterback. I mean, Dennis was probably 6'2". 225. I mean, that's... So he was built more like a linebacker. Oh, he was a lineman all the way. I mean, he's, his pants were bigger than about... And he won't like me saying that, but they were bigger than almost every guy on the offensive line. And that's a story I'm going to let out of the bag. So he, But he was a leader. They'd follow him anywhere. And you know what? Once he got out there, he realized he liked it. You know, and he 
run quarterback sneaks, he'd do this, and, and he would be able to read the defenses, put the ball where it needed to be. And uh, he was so intelligent again. And, uh, you know, when we were starting, he didn't believe he could have a career. But, you know, there are places back east that for academically, you know, when you're as restrictive as somebody like Columbia with your academics, you're, the football sort of comes second, you know, and then when they're recruiting, they want anybody with talent that can meet both standards. And so, you know, it was uh, an easy sell for, for him in that they were hungry and, you know, he, he, he met the, the thing. You know, he had a good career. And, but I'll tell one of the stories is to show you how big he was. We're playing a pretty big game in Phoenix, and uh, he runs a quarterback sneak, and uh, he splits his pants. <laughs> Now, he's in the middle, of, and it, not a little split. So what happens, we've got to call a timeout. The entire team comes out about like on the, where the numbers would be. We surround Dennis, and we get another pair of pants, and he's got to change right, right in the middle of the game because we have no... On the sideline. No, well, halfway on the field and halfway on the sideline, <laughs> but we had the timeout, and we explained what had to happen. So we had an extra pair of pants, got it off, got them on him, and, you know, got him back in the game within probably the the amount of time we had, but it was one of those things of what are we going to do? We can't have, he didn't want to play like that. So we got him a new pen. He went out and we won the game, but uh, that's a story that will live for. I, I, every time his class gets together, you know, we had some great guys on that team too. Kevin Weatherly, who became, I think he's vice president of ABC radio. And, and, you know, we had, his dad used to own a radio station here, uh, Mr. Weatherly. And, but there are so many individual stories that were in that, in that period of time, and they were still a close-knit group. Dennis is friends with almost all the players on his team, and Kevin, you know, with those on his team. And that's going back to Casa Grande, the roots. They all played together somewhere. All right, switching gears a little bit here. You also coached Coolidge at one point. Yes. Um, What was the difference from when you first took over Casa Grande to when you went to Coolidge? Well, we were playing with leather balls, number one. But the funny thing is, it was a lower level, but we had, uh, I was very fortunate. When we got to Coolidge, I followed a guy that was, ended up being one of my assistants, and he was my, he was the athletic director, all as assistant principal, and the principal was Cheryl Stevens, but uh, Larry Delbridge, the football field is named after him. But what I was alluding to earlier, the longer you stay, as many good things happen, you know, and they got rid of the wrong guy. I was very fortunate. I followed him, so there was some groundwork there. Uh, We had different philosophies, but after one year, he ended up realizing that we were all dedicated to the same thing. We wanted to win football games, and he became my defensive coordinator. And we had some of the best teams in in Coolidge recent period of time there. And uh, we had one kid, uh, Lee Wheeler, who private plane from Tennessee, picked him up, and with... Retay, that was the quarterback up in the Valley at that time, and they both went to Tennessee, ended up. We had kids being recruited by Tennessee, Purdue, at which had never happened there. But we had a network now that we knew and people knew who I was. I was really good friends with Joe Tiller uh, through uh, uh, Dennis Erickson, who I got to know really well. One of my assistants at the time, I, I'd remiss, was Rod Purdom, who was intricate to the Castle Grand program, but his roommate in college was Dennis Erickson. When they played, and so we went to clinics, and we got to, we, and Dennis ended up recruiting some of our kids, and uh, you know Dennis had a great career, won national champs at Miami, but so when we got to Coolidge, 
these guys, when I said, hey, we have a player you got to watch, I mean, I, there, I can literally say it was one time we had 10 Division One coaches around our field because that's how many talented kids. Now, the problem there, and where I fit in as the assistant principal, uh, we had to really lean on the academic part because it was lacking. Um, Lee was passed his SATs the very first time, but things like that, kids weren't used to doing those things, academically taking SATs as juniors, preparing so that when we go to send out stuff, we have everything in line, your GPA is, is, is good enough. There were two or three players that were on that Coolidge, in that Coolidge period, that could have played anywhere in America, anywhere. Um, and it was a shame that one or two just academically, you know, didn't care, and the more you tried, we make them ineligible, do whatever, but but Coolidge is a unique place. Again, it's a feeder program. We were good because the first thing I did is the junior high in Coolidge was running the same thing. And so uh, you think about the state championships that they had afterwards. They all were attributed to the continuation of a program for all those years was the same all the way through Carlo Hernandez. Nothing changed. The playbook from when I got there to when he left, what, maybe eight years later with two state titles and two runner-ups, and my son was coaching with him, so everything stayed the same. So there was that continuity, and then you plug that talent in into that, and you're doing the same things over and over. The end result is exactly what I said, which I'm hoping happens here sometime. But Coolidge was... Uh, uh, I could go to almost any parent there as the assistant principal, and again, it, it made me... Um, a different person than just the football coach because now I knew what those kids were doing academically every day teachers would report discipline wise I there was they couldn't get away with anything on that campus uh, not that they you know kids are going to be kids but you know you, so you you build an environment and the principal there was Cheryl Stevens was exactly he was an old coach but a disciplinarian I mean you had to tell the line and, and you were but if you were an athlete you, and you were behaving and you, you could pretty much walk on water, I mean, as long as you pulled the line, were a good student, I mean, you were, you're the example we want, academically, discipline-wise, and then athletically. And Larry Delbridge was the same way. So now you had three guys that were committed to the same thing in the administration. And the superintendent, as long as we, you know, you're good, you win, and we don't have any problems, and that's what it's all about. You're building a culture, and Coolidge allowed us to do that. I mean, it, and it, they, they're, it's a unique community. Again, the only problem is even Cale Ferguson, who's now at Vista Grande as an assistant, when he was there, great program. Then what happened is this recruiting thing started, and they started cherry-pick. There was other schools taking Coolidge's players. Yeah, Hamilton, for example, two or three of the best players. Uh, and then they end up going to college, you know what I mean? And they were nurtured, they were built in Coolidge. And, uh, but, you know, that didn't happen. When I, later on, as, as, as you win and people start taking notice you're winning, you know, you win two state championships, you were run up in another, and then all of a sudden they, they come down, we want this player, we want that player. Uh, so uh, Coolidge, again, I think they're bouncing back. They have a good coach now. And going back to your original question, that's what I'm seeing. The coaching has improved. And not only has it improved, the people who are going to places. Maricopa's had a little bit of a problem with this, keeping somebody for longevity so it has time to fruition. 
you know, it's not a, a two-year project. It's probably eight, ten years. And then, you know, if something hasn't happened in the seven, eight, ten years, whether you're changing culture and you can see the development. But until then, you know, you're asking for trouble because then it's a constant change. So when you're telling a young man, I want you to believe in me and I'm going to believe in you and we're going to work toward this and then a year, year and a half later, he's gone. And then there's another guy and another guy pretty soon they're looking at me when you go into the room, you know, here we go again. You know, here we, now they have to see that you're the type of person that's going to walk the walk, walk the talk. Not, and you're not going to be here and using it as a stepping stone to go somewhere else, which has happened a lot here. Not only in football, basketball, some of the, so when you have that kind of turnover, and I have grandkids going here, and I see it, uh, the you know the turnover, pretty soon I say, well, how's it going? Well, we got a new coach, and uh, you know just like that, we got a new, and so you know that all feeds into being successful, and um, that's why you know the guy at Eloy has very simple, but has shown consistency. He's been there for those kids. The kids know he's going to be there, so they show up. That's happening again in Coolidge. It's happening in Casa Grande. Vista, maybe it's only his, what, third year? It's going to take some time. Maricopa and I noticed they've gone through coaches quite right. And there's a talent bed there because that's a booming place. I mean. And it's like you said, they often get the schools in Ahwatukee and Chandler taking a lot exactly. of their Exactly. And parents think that's a better education. That's a, you know, that's the other thing. You know, it's not only the kids. Parents, they all want this instant success for their kids. When I'm playing a state championship team. I'm not going to mention, I know there was a father in town here who had a really good player. Really good player. Started at Hamilton. I said to him, why? Why are you sending him to Hamilton? This is in the recent, in the last 10 years. And I said, oh, I want him to play for a state. Sure enough, played about two years. Was a really good, but got hurt. You know, I could have done the same thing. And the thing they don't realize, if you're good in today's age, if you're good with all the media, they're going to find you. I mean, you could be at a school of 300 kids, but if you're, it's just phenomenal now what's happening with this huddle in the internet and how people can watch a game being, you know, like a high school game. I understand Casa Grande's games by somebody's going to be broadcast uh, against South Point. Now, that never would have happened, but now coaches can see because South Point's got a really good quarterback. So how that happens is somebody's tuning in to watch him, and all of a sudden maybe he sees the Casa Grande kid. Oh, hey, we haven't been to Casa Grande in a while. And so those kind of things, the more that has all changed. But, again, you have to have somebody that's going to be there for the kids consistently. And it's not anybody that thinks that coaching is uh, from, you know, August to, I mean, I always said my philosophy was we make the team from January till May. January to May, that's when it's made, because the getting the camaraderie, the weight room, uh, doing the drills, learning the offense. Then May comes, you go right into passing league, and you develop your passing attack. You don't do any running, and then when fall starts, you start, you know, with your run. But it's a year round. I mean, there's. I, I laugh because I know one or two of my assistants that have been that coach in college that were in high school. I said, I'm not going back to high school. It's too much work. It's year round. You know, it, it's it's totally year-round. You have to be there. And uh, that's a commitment. And that's what I'm saying. They haven't had too many people commit their lives to Casa Grande in those particular sports. Now it's happening, and I think uh, hopefully he's going to reap the rewards. So on that note, 
you know, talk about Jake Barrow, and I think Jake Barrow is entering his fifth season. I think so. Uh, as the head coach there, but you know, he has really built the program. And uh, I don't know, you know, how closely you follow the team now, but last year they had a, a great year. I follow uh, them. I go to about yeah. two or three games. I mean, uh, I, I know it's kind of funny because I go out there, I recognize the names because their father played for me. So a lot of those, that, that happens. But, you know, I also want to see how the kids are coached. And I, and I think he's done just what you said. You know, he's, he's come. I think he's had some turnover on his staff. Uh, like I know Randy was the defense coordinator, and now he can't be because the administration said why. I have no idea, because and I'm not picking on the new superintendent. I don't. He's he's the first superintendent in all the years since Al Nader that I haven't met, and that's not a bad or good thing. It's just haven't had the opportunity. But again, the turnover in those guys has been great as well. I'm talking about leadership now, and you know it starts at the top, consistency, and, and works its way down. And so, uh, but with Coach Barrow, I think, you know, I don't see him being a, a stepping stone. I think he wants to build something that is a legacy, and I've seen it happening. I know he's already moved ahead of me and wins, which is great because, you know, and then Al Van Hazel's ahead. And, uh, but I think that he's found a place where he can fit in, likes the community, like I said, and that family kind of atmosphere he's building. And... Uh, I think the problem is he's got a little bit of a head start on Vista. Everybody looks down there, but, you know, that's what it's about, that little bit of two years or uh, three years ahead of getting in. So now parents who are kids are in a youth program, what school am I going to send them to? You know, where am I going to go? There's a little bit of recruiting going on within the community, you know what I mean? But, again, I think the thing going back to what – she mentioned is that longevity, this, that pays off. He's been here longer. He's built something, you know, even now. Can Vista do the same thing? I believe it can. It's just, you know, give it time. He's got to get his kids and get them, and get them going. But Coach Barrow, uh, I, I hope he stays because I do think the future is getting brighter. I look at the youth programs. There's so many more kids playing football in this community now. I mean, I'm talking about a 100% increase. I don't think we had anybody. There wasn't a youth football program when I came. Now, um, so again, you know, uh, I think football is what the greatest sport in the world because it builds so many things that people forget. But that's what I say. It's a tool. What you put in, you get back, but it's a tool to get something, you know, you learn study habits, discipline, uh, teamwork, all the things that, you know, budgeting your time. And I, I remember... I got a call from uh, one of, I think it was Dennis's coaches at Columbia, and said one of the things that Dennis had learned is <clears throat> time, budgeting time. You know, football, you know, it doesn't, and then you got to budget time for this, and that's one thing, you know, I think you have to teach as a coach. You know, you, football is its place, but, you know, education is behind it. You, you have to have an education, or this is, you know, you can't be good at one and not the other. You have to be good at both. And then the time management and being able to be in places on time. You know, put your job and be there. Put in a day's work, go home and and uh, do what you have to do. Um, and, again, that's what football does. And, uh, you know, I, I take I, – I cringe. And I've been on so many AI – I cringe when football's under attack because of head injuries and stuff. But then something like soccer and girls' soccer, I've seen so many – it goes on, you know, like – Football's it's going to happen. You play, it's going to hurt. Just like if I'm going to fight in an MMA fight, am I thinking I'm not going to get struck? 
I mean, you know, so uh, as football had some bad things that they hit, yeah, I think now with equipment and technique, and it, it, it's a safe sport. I mean, race car driving, you know, it's, you get in there, you get a guy who's going to get an accident. It, it, it's football's what it is. And I think if you ask the NFL guys, I mean, most of them say they wouldn't trade it for anything. College guys wouldn't trade, high school kids wouldn't trade their experiences. And I still, once in a while, get asked to talk about it, and that's what it's a, it's a family. It's a close-knit family, coaches, players. Uh, you don't forget them. You know, you remember them. And I, I can't tell you how many places I've been across the world. I'm in an airport in Germany, I hear, hey, coach. Some kid that I had coached had been in the service, was getting on a plane to come home. You know, and, and crazy things. I'm in, I just was on a, I was in Italy. And sure enough, hey, coach, what are you doing over here? You know, it's, uh, it's you never forget them. Now, I might forget a face now or a name now and then, but faces, you know, I can put to. And like when we talk about a certain team, you mention one guy, that will lead me to ten others because I know how they interacted and communicated. We're a family. Yeah, it all comes full circle. Well, um that's going to do it for our episode today. And, uh, again, I want to really thank John Kashner for, for coming here and sharing some great stories with us. Well, thank you for having me. Like I said, great community. You guys are doing, I think, anything like this. that uh, There's a history here. It's a positive history. People have to realize that and just build on it. It's coming. It's coming. Hey, there you go. That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.